All right, hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Power Talk. Today's talk is titled Wastewater Treatment Plants and is a reply to some questions we've gotten and specifically a YouTube comment we received that, uh, that was very germane talking about wastewater treatment plants. My name is Nate Woods and I've got about 15 years of cat dealer marketing experience. Sitting across from me is, of course, Greg Lamberg, who brings over 30 years of utility power experience. And our special guest today is Marty Hopkins, who uh, brings with him 30 projects and over 23 years of power experience, uh, including over 70 megawatts of installed power. Uh, 15 years specifically in the biogas industry. He is the commercial sales representative responsible for natural gas, biogas, and cogeneration for Peter pa Peterson Power Systems. And he led a team, this is really cool, he led a team that's been recognized by Caterpillar Energy Solutions as the dealer of the year within the wastewater treatment facility application. And he is an active participant in the WEFTEC. Um, and I think maybe the first question I want to jump off with is one to you, Greg, which is, and, and you mentioned that this was a perfect question and comment for Power Talk. So how is water, how is that a perfect uh, tie-in to what we talk about here and sort of what is the, the scale of the situation or the scale of the topic? Well, th thank you, Nate. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, you know, water and power are, are often uh, very closely connected from a societal perspective, like we talk about the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, the largest municipality in the country. From a California perspective, um, over 20% of the electric generation that's consumed in the state of California is consumed by moving water around, mm. being it treated water or moving wastewater around. So there are a lot of synergies between the, uh, the energy consumption of the water system as a whole and uh, how we produce the energy uh, to manage that system and, and keep that water flowing. In California, there is roughly 900 wastewater treatment plants alone uh, that move over 4 billion gallons a day of water. That's a lot of water moving around. And then from the United States perspective, there's over 16,000 wastewater treatment plants in the United States. Um, you know, about 81% of these plants are at capacity right now and 15% are exceeding their capacity. So this is an area where we're going to see uh, we're going to see investments societally in this infrastructure as as population continues to grow, and uh, the utilization of renewable energy, which couldn't be better suited than in the wastewater treatment sector, is going to be a very important piece of uh, of how this all comes together. And that's why uh, I think you and I were so excited when we saw this question come in from one of our listeners. Uh, because uh, Marty's been on our team for a long time, and Marty's really an expert uh, in this area. And uh, since we have him today, we have his time, I'm going to defer uh, most of this conversation to Marty. Fantastic. Yeah, I know uh, when I think about things that are critical, uh, not much comes above electricity, but I think water uh, certainly does. So, Marty, let me hand things to you to kind of introduce the topic. And maybe my, my first ask of you is, can you split the difference between a water treatment facility and a wastewater treatment facility, uh, especially from the lens of electric power? Sure. Um, so that's a great question and, and there are two basic differences. We, you know, we, we turn on a faucet, we get water, we flush the toilet, there's water, there's water delivered to our house. That water comes from a water treatment plant and water treatment plants will source their water from a reservoir, a river, 
those are the two typical sources and they will then treat that water clean it up and then that water gets delivered to your home and that'll be and that usually happens through pumps and the process of treating the water takes electricity all the pump stations that will pump the water to where you have pressurized water to your house takes electricity so from that, that standpoint a lot of electricity and those plants will have standby power generation because when the electricity goes out we want to have power when bellow turn the faucet on have water and those will be done by backup generators so our subject today is wastewater treatment plants a wastewater treatment plant is what happens after that water is used whether it's sewage water sometimes the water that we use down the sinks sometimes that gets separated but usually all that water goes to a wastewater treatment plant and from that point at the wastewater treatment plant it gets treated and when that water gets treated and cleaned up the cleaned up water then usually will be dumped back into a river or some other source and then all of the contaminants that were removed a lot of times can get turned into fertilizer and get used uh, on fields crops um, and the other uh, product of, of what happens and, and this is called anaerobic digestion typically where the <clears throat> they will take all of that gunk the sewage put mm -hmm. it into a tank they will uh, the, which will have a dome over it or a, or a cover of some type and they'll have little bugs little microbes in there that that uh, basically eat the bad stuff and in the process of them eating is gas they they basically extrude gas which is methane gas which if you pay attention to the news methane gas is one of the worst uh, greenhouse gas contributors to to our planet so what they want to do is treat that methane gas so what typically these these uh, wastewater treatment plants will do is they'll flare it they'll pipe that gas they'll take it out of the collection site they'll pipe it over to a flare and burn it and that smoke goes up to the atmosphere and when you say a flare um like obviously you're not talking about a road flare what 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 do you mean by flare a literal open flame they'll like like uh, you can picture if you have a, a gas stove or or a, or, or a barbecue you know the the gas comes in and you light it and you mm -hmm. see the flame it's just just like that but picture a, a, a pipe sticking up in the air and then and it's, it's just, just a big flame this and then sometimes they'll be covered you don't necessarily see the flame but there'll be a flame in there somewhere they, they, they and then the technologies are pretty good where you don't see a lot of smoke but there still is emissions from that it's 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 it, the the methane gas is combusted, but there's still emissions that, that that will go up to the atmosphere. Okay, but it's a lot better than having sewage all over the place. So it's a it's a byproduct of cleaning up our waste. Okay, and then yeah, I guess what does so at the start of this sounded already like a pretty green technology, wherein it's it's literal waste. And then we can turn around and make useful things out of it, uh, including useful water again. Um, but now you're talking about this this greenhouse gas footprint from from flaring the gas. What what options are available to wastewater applications to to make them more environmentally friendly? And what options are there to to keep their electric power um, not only reliable? Uh, but reduce the the footprint of that as well sure so what i like about wastewater treatment plants is i think they are the ultimate renewable energy source um, you know if you pay attention to the re uh, renewable energy 
market industries you know solar is great wind is great but they're intermittent they they only produce electricity when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing a wastewater treatment plant is getting uh, product all day long and these digesters it there's a cycle so when they get when these digesters get fed with the the the, the sewage mm -hmm. it's constantly producing this methane gas so there's a constant supply and let's just call the methane gas energy there's a constant supply of energy coming from these digesters from these wastewater treatment plants so we have this energy available 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year so if we can then put in a device that can use that energy to a useful purpose that's a very great benefit because we're taking that waste and producing something beneficial so in our case what we do is we provide electric power generators that it's an internal combustion engine that can take that methane gas and okay. produce electricity out of it. And how much of uh, a plant's um, operations can be ran off of that, that methane generation? Yeah, that's a, a good question. It's a hard question to definitively answer because every plant is different. Okay. Um, we have a, a plant um, up here in Oregon, uh, the city of Gresham actually went net zero a few years ago. And how they did that is they, they, they had a, uh, a one uh, power generator on site mm -hmm. that we provided years ago. They increased their biogas production by, so typically you well, have- That was a project of the year. Yes, it was yeah, a very I project, that yes. And, and so what happens is, is that with, uh, you can collect like the fats and oil and greases from restaurants that, that's a very high energy feedstock that, that you can dump into a digester. So basically it kind of turbocharges the digester. So hmm. you, can, you can take your same digester. I mean, it's more complicated than this, but in simple terms, you can take your same digester, throw in these uh, fats, oil, and greases, and that's going to increase your production. Now, it's like I said, it's more complicated than that, but just in, in generic terms. So, so they were able to do that. So they increased their biogas production. So they doubled, they added another biogas generator, and then they added some solar panels. And so between that, between the, the solar panels that they have on site and our biogas generators, and then the biogas generators, and we can talk about this a little bit more, but you take, um, you take energy from the, the heat of the generators and you pipe that back to the digesters because they require heat. Hmm. And a lot of times that's done by boilers. So if you don't have to use a boiler, that boiler does not consume electricity or natural gas. So you reduce your use there by taking the waste heat from the engine and you pipe it over to that digester. So there's a, there's a lot of different pieces that move on, but at the end of the day, the city of Gresham was a, a great example of, because they had the right size of facility, they had enough gas and the ability to put enough solar out there, that now they, they basically produce all of their own electricity. It's a bit of a unique case. I would say, generally speaking, most wastewater treatment plants can probably produce 50% of their electricity fairly easily. But it's just that Gresham had, had supplemented with uh, what's otherwise a, a waste product anyhow. Yeah, so they, well, and, and in most cases, and so maybe I should, I, I jumped ahead a little bit on, on kind of how this process works, but I mentioned taking the waste heat back to the digester. And you hear the term cogeneration. Okay. And so, our products that we would put into a, a, 
a municipal wastewater treatment plant, it's going to be it's what we're going to call a cogeneration plant. Uh, you heard you might hear the term CHP, which is combined heat and power. And what that means is we take our engine, our, our internal combustion engine, we take that methane gas, which is energy, we, we pipe that methane gas into the engine, and that engine runs like normal, like your car engine. Well, let's talk about your car engine. Everybody, you're driving down the highway and you have your exhaust mm -hmm. coming out, and, and if you've ever been by an exhaust, it's kind of warm. It's warm air coming out there because it's hot exhaust coming out from the engine. Right. We take, from our engines, we take that hot exhaust we capture it into a heat exchanger, so it's a, basically a, a, a big tube with a bunch of tubes inside of it. And we take that hot exhaust and that runs through it, and then we take hot water and pump it in, or we take water and pump it in there, and that hot exhaust will heat that water. Hmm. Then that hot water gets pumped over to the digester, and then that digester maintains its proper temperature. Because I mentioned that it has the bugs in there that, that, yeah. that eat the, <laughs> the, the material and create the, the gas. The product. Well, they are. They're they're uh, they're uh, they're an organism. They're a living organism, and so they they need to be in about a hundred to one hundred five degree temperature to to live. Okay. So so in cold climates, you're gonna need more heat. Sometimes in warmer climates, you don't need very much heat. You know, winter, summer, it all varies. But those digesters, you have to pump some some warm water into them to maintain that temperature. So we take the exhaust, and that's one source, and then and then the coolant in your engine. Um, you know, your engine gets hot, but you have, you have a, a antifreeze in there that keeps keeps the engine from overheating. Right. But that's hot water that's inside your engine. Well, if you take that hot water and do the same thing, run it through a heat exchanger, then we can also take that hot water and bring it over to that digester as well. So we have a couple different ways that we extract what's normally a wasted heat in that engine and, and provide it into a useful purpose. By doing that, we increase the efficiency of that engine because the, the the useful energy going in becomes useful energy going out whereas in a car your useful energy in is, is is driving your wheels driving down the highway while your exhaust is going out and and you're you're not doing anything with that hot water inside the engine except for maybe heating the inside of the car right which is I guess is cogeneration as well I mean you take that um, so so that's our so that's what we do so we we, we we make that engine as efficient as possible. So we're, we're, we're wanting to use as much of that energy, which is a byproduct of that digestion, digestion. And so then we make that engine efficient. So it's a very efficient green process. This is pretty fantastic. And I've got two, uh, two questions that kind of come to mind because uh, Greg had just talked to me about biodiesel where I'm taking the same kind of uh, wasted restaurant uh, fats and oils and, and using that uh, in a blend with diesel. And now you're talking about taking sort of those same raw elements and adding them to um, the product, uh, to wastewater product. And I'm, so one thing is I'm kind of curious if there's any relationship there or if it just happens to be the same inputs. And then the other uh, question that came to mind is if you had all this um, sewage and you just let it decompose in the river, on the ground, however, it's going to release um, greenhouse gases just by decomposing. And I'm curious what the exhaust, and, and, and I don't know if this has ever even been studied, uh, but what the exhaust from that generator set 
looks like as compared to just letting the stuff decompose in a in a natural environment. So I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I don't know if a study has been done like that. Because I don't even think we want to know what it would look like if we just let it sit there and decompose yeah, this naturally. This is sounding like <laughs> the most green thing uh, any municipality could possibly install. Right. Well, I think one of the things that, that probably one of the modern miracles of modern society is indoor plumbing and, and, and you know, not having that, those cesspools. I mean, that's an old term. I mean, you that we use to this, you may know what a cesspool is. Well, we don't want to know what a cesspool mm. is. All of, we flush the toilet and that yucky stuff goes away, you know? But, but going back to, to Nate's question, which is a great question about the efficiency and stuff, uh, we do have data, we have done studies with regards to the environmental benefits of utilizing the biogas in a reciprocating engine or even in a CHP or cogeneration system versus just flaring it. Yeah. Yeah, and the utilization of that gas to produce energy the, it is just so environmentally superior from a uh, from a carbon intensity perspective uh, when compared to flaring that gas. That um, there's a lot of interest uh, in, in this space right now, and uh, there's a lot of dialogue going on with municipalities who are smaller who haven't um, adopted these technologies on how to green up their operations. And as Marty mentioned, it, you know, with the case of, of, of Grisham, and I think there was some questions about microgrids and stuff like that, to the extent that you um, take a CHP system, which is the really the, the, the anchor tenant, if you will, with regards to producing energy uh, for that wastewater treatment plant, and when you start combining solar and, and energy storage as well in a microgrid, um, that's where you get to zero net, and a lot of magic can happen, uh, not only with regards to carbon intensity, but with regards to reliability and resiliency um, in the event of a, uh, of a situation where the, the grid may be lost. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're already plugged into the grid, so that's your plan A, or, or, or maybe not, but you're, you're plugged into the grid. Uh, you've got the, gen, the generator set going, you have solar panels going, then you have storage going, with the uh, the microcontroller on top of it, that sounds uh, robust, I think, to say the least. Yeah. Well, I think in 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 an impartial answer to your question about what what happens if you just let that stuff decompose on its own, there have been studies, and I don't know off the top of my head, but I think and it's been in the news where they talk about the methane just from from cow manure. Right. And and that's a big topic. <clears throat> and so what what dairies and, and other uh, uh, you know, cattle farmers are looking at is is taking that taking the manure and not just letting it either compost or, or just lay out in the fields and building a digester and they will digest that material and uh, is that theoretical or, or has someone actually put that into practice it's happened we we did a uh, we did here in, in Oregon a, a, a a digester they had about 50,000 cows and we did a 4.8 megawatt digester project there Fantastic. and uh, they did it was a little different di digester technology than what are at the municipal wastewater treatment plants but it's a way to control the the fugitive emissions from from just manure laying out or just by the composting of it you know if you ever drive by a, a, a dairy 
when you smell it before you see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and a lot of times you'll see a big a big uh, mini a big hill a mini mountain, and a lot of times you'll see a tarp over it with tires on top of it. Mm -hmm. That's usually just manure all piled up that they're composting down, and then sometimes they'll have lagoons that they'll put it in. So, so the the, the same principle of, of digestion works in that case. And, and, and I kind of go back to your question, even though it's not a municipal wastewater treatment plant, there was a lot of studies of what taking that cow manure and then digesting it versus letting it just go to atmosphere. So there's so from that standpoint, there's a, there is a, an environmental benefit to di digesting it and then and then using that gas you know to produce energy yeah yeah so and and now i'm kind of curious what does it look like through the lens of dollars so obviously these things are um, big investments to you know for a dairy uh for a wastewater plant um, but then on, on the flip side of that is you have what is effectively a free source of electricity and so i i guess i'm curious like how do the how have your customers seen the numbers wash? Mm -hmm. So from a, from a municipality standpoint, I think you, you typically see the numbers, generally speaking, I think they're seeing about a seven year payback. Hmm. Um, and how long do these things last? 20 years. Oh, wow. If properly maintained, if you have good equipment, um, we, have, we have systems with Caterpillar engines that now we're actually doing a second life and you know, we're doing the round two. We're replacing a 20 year old Caterpillar engine with a new Caterpillar engine or, um, you know, other brand. Uh, but yeah, so they, if they're properly maintained and if it's a good robust piece of equipment, it can last a long time. Now it gets rebuilt a lot along the ways, but yeah, of course, but it's, yeah, they're, they're very reliable. The, the technology, of cogeneration what we're doing it's not a new technology it's you know it's been around since the 60s so now the the technology is involved those engines back in the 60s were <clears throat> just st strictly from a fuel in electricity out those are engines are like in the 30 percent efficient so basically if you say there's 100 percent of energy going in by the fuel only 30% of it gets converted to electricity. And that's that's the electrical efficiency equation. Well, our new engines that we're putting out there are in the 40s. Hmm. So we've increased the 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 efficiency by you know you know 10, 15% in some cases. So it's pretty substantial. That that sounds like a big jump. And then you add on the cogeneration, then you get a total efficiency up in the 80%. So almost 80, you know, in somewhere in the range of 80% of the fuel energy coming in is being utilized in, in, in energy going out. So, so if I heard that right, by adding uh, cogeneration, by adding... Um, by capturing that exhaust heat I talked about, by capturing the, the coolant heat. And that effectively doubles yes. the efficiency. Yes. That, I, I don't hear doubles the efficiency too often, so that, that impresses me. Where, uh, where have you seen, or where have you installed for that matter, uh, these CHP or these cogeneration units and, and what what applications do they make sense for and maybe what applications do they not make sense for? So wastewater treatment plants are the perfect application because they have a needed heat source that that hot water going into the digesters is is valuable. So wastewater treatment plants are the perfect cogeneration uh, customer. Um, we do other 
cogeneration CHP projects in the private sector with food processing plants. Hospitals are a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even hotels they have swimming pools that are heated. So if you think about some, you know, somebody that uses electricity all the time and has some type of heat or cooling need all the time, mm-hmm. that's a great CHP customer. Because we can even take our hot water or hot exhaust and run it through what's called a a um, absorption chiller, and we can actually give you cold water as well. So, <laughs> so we can give you cold water too out of our hot hot water system. So, you know, so there's different applications for code generation, but you know, on our topic today, wastewater treatment plants. Again, to me, for that reason, they're so efficient. They're taking a waste product, and we're creating so much useful energy. Yeah, man, I love that. I love this. Let's let's drill into the the wastewater plant here and specifically the microgrid application for a wastewater plant. So uh, we're talking about Gresham. They've got utility power. They have uh, a generator running off of these digesters. They have solar. Um, Does Gresham have a a microgrid controller on uh, on their installation? They, I wouldn't say that microgrid controllers are a very specific device. So I think any facility that, that has those components would have a, a, a microgrid so, uh, controller, so to speak, where they're going to they're gonna have a, a, a building or an energy management system that's going to control how all these things play together. So they do have that in place there. Um, the, a microgrid in a cogeneration plant makes a lot of sense um, because you can not only like I talked about net zero energy. Mm-hmm. There's also an energy security aspect. The, you know, I talked about the backup generators on water treatment plants because you always want your water flowing to your house. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's important during a, a power outage is your water flowing back to the facility where it's gonna get treated. If a wastewater tr- treatment plant stops operating, all that sewage and wastewater is gonna get backed up it's not it has nowhere to go or it's going to overflow that plant and if it's next to a river or a water mm-hmm. source all that all that sewage is going to go into that water <coughs> that's not a good thing that happened recently actually you know, yeah. a couple of years ago in Oakland hmm. uh, there was a failure of the uh, of the primary system and and uh, backup generators were not queued in place properly and over 50,000 gallons of raw sewage was dumped into the Oakland estuary yeah, wow. So, so there's actually so so that's actually regulated by the government that they have to have backup power sources, and so typically these plants will have, in most cases, diesel generators to back up that can handle their large pump motors to keep may not be keeping their whole plant running, but they can keep it running enough to where it can process the flows to prevent a disaster. To prevent, to prevent a disaster. Now. The one thing is, is that these cogent plants, in some cases, can be a backup to the backup. Hmm. So, uh, in one way, one you've, like I said, you're you're constantly producing this 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 biogas, this digester gas. But you can also, in some cases, blend in natural gas to where, if you needed that power and you had a problem with your your biogas, maybe you need to use natural gas for a little bit, or the production's down a little bit, but you still need all that energy. You can blend in a little bit of natural gas just to help it out. Um, and you can do that in the in the same engine. In the same the engine, yeah, with controls. It's it's sophisticated. There's there's some things you have to do, but you, that can be done. 
Um, the other thing that can happen is, if, let's just say, if your diesel backup, there, actually there's, a, there's, a, there's an example. During Superstorm Standy, there was a wastewater treatment plant, I believe in New Jersey. Hmm. And I think when you have these huge hurricanes, huge earthquakes, your diesel generators only run as long as you have diesel in them. So imagine everybody running on diesel generators. Right. Delivery is going to be a problem. You know, you may have 24, 48 hours on site. Once that runs out, if all the delivery trucks are either unable to get to you or they're somewhere else, you're out of power. Uh, so this wastewater treatment plant was able to run their their uh, cogen throughout the the, the, the outage. So they had their on-source fuel, so they were able to keep running while all the others with diesels were out. And uh, so, and in some cases, you know, people look at natural gas as a good option for a standby, but in, the, in a co-generation, if you design it properly to run the plant without, in, in a, what we call an island mode, you can ride through some of those events using the biogas or natural gas as well. Most people aren't designing them that way, but it's a it's a it's a good opportunity to do that. Okay, well, I I like that we're talking about different options these plants have, um, and and forgive me for if I'm not getting the nomenclature correctly because I had asked about a, a microgrid controller, which you said right. is a very specific thing. Uh, so I guess more generally, when it comes to a wastewater plant that's balancing uh, a mix or an all of the above approach to energy. Um, what options do they have in in managing those different yeah. sources? Yeah, and I really didn't answer your question because you, that's you did frame it in the microgrid, and I and I kind of veered towards that, <laughs> that energy security because that's what I was thinking. Because in that case, if you had if you had a microgrid, yeah, and let's just say let's, let's you know you're you're in a, a hur aftermath of a hurricane or an earthquake, and we're out, and boy, we're out of diesel. We have solar during the day. We've got some some energy storage. You know we can we can manage that where we have the 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 generators that can run 24 7 but maybe we can back those off a little bit and run power off of the solar and the energy storage maybe maybe we're charging the energy the, the batteries with the solar during the day and running those at night um, you have a lot of different options you get into a whole microgrid discussion right but it dovetails nicely into a wastewater treatment plant it's it's again it's another really good candidate for that that type of technology and and if, if I may for, for our listeners my, microgrids can get very very complex and I think we'll have uh, probably a number of discussions as part of power talk specific to microgrids and microgrid applications but when we're talking about a microgrid just to help the listener out here a little bit uh, the microgrid is capable of decoupling from the utility system and running that wastewater treatment plant on its own uh, with its own resources and managing the allocation of those resources as far as optimizing the amount of solar power at any given moment or optimizing that storage or controlling how much uh, renewable natural gas or biogas that you're using and if there's any blending with natural gas. So the microgrid controller will manage and optimize all of those resources uh, behind the meter, off-grid as part of that microgrid in real time. And it's very, very complex uh, to do that. Microgrids are, are very unique animals. Uh, Almost no two are alike, 
they take a lot of uh, engineering and application work up front, but uh, it's really uh, amazing some of the things that's being done with microgrids, off-grids, and the efficiencies that are being realized. So that's that's a topic for another day, but just to add a little bit of color for our listeners to uh, to the microgrid piece of this discussion. That was fantastic. And I, I, you, you said one thing that kind of piqued my interest there, which was uh, in real time. And so we're, we're talking about electricity that, uh, from a layman's perspective, moves at the speed of light. Um, so how responsive are microgrids? Like if, yeah, how, how responsive are microgrids? You see what I'm dealing with here, Marty? I mean, you can't, you can't answer a question for this guy without getting another question. But uh, no, great. It, it, we're, we're just having some fun with you, Nate. Yeah, we yeah. really appreciate what you're doing for this series here. Uh, these things can be done literally uh, within, within nanoseconds. Uh, when we talk about the responsiveness of a present-day microcontroller, uh, the word that's often used is blipless. Hmm. Because uh, many of the critical uh, energy systems uh, that you know, mission-critical type customers use, uh, they can't uh, have even the, the slightest uh, interruption in, in power or voltage or frequency, uh, not even nanoseconds. So the speed with which these things manage resources and respond, uh, the response time is uh, very often what we call blipless. Yeah, that, okay, that's got to be a, an episode unto itself. That's great. Uh, let's 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 do a, let's do an episode on blipless microgrids. I love it. I love it. Um, so, Marty, I'm curious for you, and and this might be a strange question coming from uh, or or going to someone who who sells these sort of situ- uh, these sort of setups. Um, but have you encountered a wastewater treatment facility or a water treatment facility where, where CHP was not a good fit or where using um, digestive gases to, to generate electricity, where it wasn't a good fit and, and why was that? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good question because um, I read a, an article the other day and it mentioned that there's like 16,000 when I wrote down there's 16,000 wastewater plants in the U.S. that could potentially meet 12% of all the electricity in the U.S. Hmm. And only like 4% of them, I forget what the number is, currently have that. So now that's 12% potential. So you have, so what it comes down to is scale. You know, the, the, the cost of building a cogeneration plant, it takes a lot of engineering costs, a lot of construction costs. So if you're building a plant that only can, that a, a, a small wastewater plant that only maybe has 100 kW worth of gas, probably not economically feasible. It's just, it's just not going to pencil out. Just or, a question of scale then. It's a question of scale. And there's a lot of these small plants out there that probably economically just doesn't make sense. Um, and then... But there's a lot of, of the larger plants that do have them, and, and some plants will take the gas and maybe they just run it through a boiler. Yeah. You know, that's an option. You know, you don't get the benefit of electricity and the hot water, but you know, there's other ways that you can you can you can utilize the gas as well that some some places maybe want to do. Yeah, just just to add to that a little bit, you're exactly right. It, it is about scale, but some of the smaller plants. Um, I don't want our listeners thinking that if a plant's too small, they're going to be flaring gas, and I don't want them to have nightmares about methane being flared all over the country. Um, there are n- uh, numerous RNG, renewable natural gas markets, developing right now 
uh, with the energy markets as a whole, recognizing the environmental benefit of renewable natural gas, which, as we discussed earlier, can often be carbon negative. Hmm. So, so some of these smaller facilities, um, these uh, th these uh, these gas streams, these RNG renewable gas streams or biogas streams, rather than being flared, are being aggregated by aggregators and either uh, injected into pipelines, and uh, the environmental benefits are being realized through. Uh, through financial transactions uh, within that pipeline and users, where yeah. it's being uh, used at another source to uh, gain the benefit of, of biogas, renewable natural gas from an overall uh, carbon footprint. Yeah, bottle it up and sell it. That makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and that, that's happening. We're seeing that happening uh, throughout the West Coast and throughout other parts of the country where perhaps the scale isn't there um, to to warrant the investment, and uh, that that uh, energy stream is uh, is being used elsewhere. Fantastic. Well, um, Marty, is there, we, we touched on quite a few topics there. Is there anything um, you wanted to let people know that, that we didn't get to touch on yet? You know, I think just kind of a general discussion. I think it's an interesting topic um, that people don't think about. You know, you know, we all live in our, it's kind of, we all stay in our own lanes and sometimes you drive by that <clears throat> That uh, wastewater treatment plant, and you see some some domes and some big tanks and some things turning around in there. Like, what is yeah. that? Well, that's where all our waste goes, and there's actually can be some good things that come out of that, besides the sanitation of of, <laughs> of our daily lives. So. Well, I'll tell you, in the last one uh, we did sort of a power talk salute to the to the good folks who keep electricity running. Uh, that we can all use and today I would just like to give a special thank you to everyone who makes sure we have a drinking water every single day and we have sanitation to keep us uh, clean and, and free of disease so thank you to all you folks working in the water wastewater utilities uh, Greg I'll, I'll hand things off to you. Uh, you you've been uncharacteristically quiet what's what's top of mind for you uh, you know I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, above uh, taking a free ride every once in a while Nate, <laughs> but uh, Marty is truly an expert in this area um, I would imagine that uh, some of our listeners may have some more questions uh, as we're sitting here in Hillsboro today uh, Marty lives just a couple hours down the road in, in Eugene and uh, we'd be happy to have him back if uh, if there's more questions and we want to dig a little deeper into this subject it is a fascinating subject and uh, with the uh, you know uh, global nationwide decarbonization efforts, uh, mm -hmm. this is an area that uh, that yields a lot of benefit that uh, many of us in the industry have been aware of for a long time. But it's getting more and more uh, attention and popularity right now. And if perhaps you're listening and you're associated with a wastewater treatment plant and you haven't looked at this, call us. Let's 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 take a look. But again, this is Power Talk, and it's a two-way conversation. We want your ideas. We want your questions. And uh, as Nate said in the beginning of this uh, podcast, this, this whole discussion today uh, stemmed from a question from uh, one of our listeners on YouTube. So keep them coming. Uh, we want to be responsive, and we thank everybody for their time and their participation. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll second all of that. Thank you all for listening. Uh, do please send us your comments and your thoughts. If you're watching this on petersonpower.com, there's a button you can click that sends an email to Greg and myself directly. If you're watching this on youtube.com, uh, go ahead and drop something in the comments. I assure you those do get looked at uh, and they're inspirational and, and I love reading them. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>